In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're just finishing up our series. We're talking about built to share. I tried to do that with the kids and explain some of those things. And we're going to talk about what built as a human being, but built also as a church. So there's a reason why we put through a lot of effort to try and get a church building. That was, a, that was quite a bit of effort through this last uh, year. Kind of, We're still not quite, quite done. We, don't, we have our temporary certificate of occupancy. We're not quite at the full real deal. So that's very, very close. We're excited about that. And why do we go through so much effort? And I'm going to kind of, kind of relate to it with different kind of churches and what kind of church we want to be. So I was thinking about this. There's a number of different churches. And when you think of church, what do you usually think of? Probably thinking of some kind of building, and uh, what, this is what struggle. I've told, talked to some of you about this, that uh, every year, a couple times a year, that church planters come from around the country. So Dave Kelpine, you know, he started, uh, I mean, he was a pastor of a church in Littleton, went to California, and now he's coming up. Uh, Tony and Dave are coming on this Thursday, so they go through, when you go through church principles, and you'll probably see them there that Sunday unless they go back to their kind of home church. So this is something they get to experience. And of all these things that they do, so we sit down through hours of material, probably like 15 hours of stuff. Do you know what the hardest thing for new church planters to do and come up with is? The hardest thing for them to come up with is like, who are we and what makes us unique? Like, what are we as a church? Because being a church at its core is really pretty simple. It's not that difficult, right? You, you think like, oh, you just have church, right? You teach God's word. But they're to try and talk about it in a unique way, in the way that I talk to them about it, is like you're trying to shape the narrative about how even your own members talk about it. So how does your own members talk about the church that you have and why do you have it? So I got a couple of examples of churches. I, can't, I didn't plug this in, so hopefully it's going, oh, there it goes, perfect. Here's an example in Ephesus. You know that Paul was a pastor in Ephesus for three years, and then he later handed that off to Timothy. And here's an example of one of the churches there. There's not much there, but what could we assume about that church before it got totally destroyed? We could assume it wasn't all that different from the church that we have here. We could assume that they probably sang a psalm. So it is different, right? We don't sing psalms anymore. So they probably sang a psalm. They looked at God's word. Someone had a sermon, and they would sing like a hymn or something like that. They'd have a statement of belief. So on many, many levels, it would have been similar. So just a couple of weeks ago, I went to a, a conference. It was like a roundtable discussion. One of our members works for a nonprofit. And they said, hey, you should go to this thing on generosity, and it's up in Denver, and it was a Thursday and to be honest, it's like the last thing I wanted to do. I got a 6 a.m. text that said, hey, they're going to let you participate if you want. Normally, it costs $400. And you know, this is just like putting the, putting the hook in because I'm so cheap. And then they're like, but you can get in for free. So I'm like, all right, I'll go. So I go, and it was a fascinating thing. The lead guy who was talking, usually when you go to these things, it's like big eye roll because they go like, I started my church with negative 12 people, and now we have 12,000. And you're like, okay, great. So it's like the most depressing thing ever. This guy said, oh, yeah, uh, I started the church in the 20s, in my 20s, and it got humongous. And it slowly declined over the last 15 years. I thought, okay, all right, I feel better about myself a little bit now, so what, what are you going to talk about? But then he said, here's the model that we're trying to do. We're trying to have a parish church. And I'm like, well, what does that even mean, like parish church? So what they're doing is they're going to different neighborhoods in Denver, one by one, and they're just trying to have like a pastor get this crazy concept a pastor in a church taking care of the people in that area. I thought, isn't that what churches do? But not necessarily. So here's another example. Do you recognize this building? It took a lot of effort to get the uplighting just right, but I did. So 
This is Notre Dame or Notre Dame, if you've ever been there. And here's the beautiful, like the west side. So it's facing the west right there, those two big towers on the west side. Very famous, and of course very famous because in April this happened. We had the fire. And if you look, I'll jump to the picture. That oak, uh, the whole roof right there collapsed. The spire was added in the 1900s. So that oak roof is from like the 13th century gone. The spire is gone. And this became this huge, huge thing. And people started pouring millions of dollars in to try and get Notre Dame back. Like no one has done that for the Church of Ephesus. And this has become kind of this cultural icon for Paris. And I just saw there was a New York Times article that said like Notre Dame is back. Do you know what they meant by that? That tourism was back and people were still going to try and visit that area. I, ironically, this is a church, but it had nothing really to do about being a church. And when you look at, the, even when they make cathedrals, if you've ever gone to some cathedrals around the country, around the globe, they have a different purpose than a parish, if you want to use that, that term. There's a different reason why you have a cathedral. Cathedrals are built for this purpose, that you can come and be amazed and see and sense transcendence of God. That you can come and have this sense like there is something bigger than me. And it is the authority. This is where doctrine comes from and this is where truth comes from. But it is not meant to have like catechism class. It's not meant to have Bible class. It's not meant, to, I mean, barely have services. And if you go to Notre Dame today, they probably still have a service, but probably like once a week or maybe in the morning they have it. And if you ever see how many people attend, not a lot. You can go and go to these very famous cathedrals that are just monstrous in size and there's just a few people there. What kind of church do we want to be? Do we want to be a church? And I give this example because uh, we just did uh, trick-or-treating we got to participate with the town. So we went and we had to set up a booth, got to set up a booth, sorry. We got to set up a booth downtown and festival. They said, do you want to participate? And I said, this sounds fun because I have 20 pumpkins I have to get rid of. So we had their fall festival last week. It was very cold and lousy. So I had these extra pumpkins. I'm like, how do I get rid of these things? So I had this idea. So when the kids came up to our booth, instead of the traditional, just like trick or treat, I thought, how can I talk to parents? So I had to devise schemes to try and have conversations. So I put the hay bale up. The kids had to jump up on the hay bale, safety third, and then I ordered from Amazon one of those spinner things. Have you ever done one of those, like the spinning wheel? So then I taped the candy on it, and then I had to spin the wheel to see what they got. So I was so eager to get rid of these pumpkins. I had three pumpkins on to start, like three out of like 14 options. I was like, you win a pumpkin, that's awesome. So I put their name on it, and then they got rid of it. So I got rid of the pumpkins, but we handed out 500 pieces of candy to all these kids that come. You know what's a real easy conversation with parents? They say, what's your church? And I say, oh, it's right down the street. It's that one. They're like, oh, that's really awesome. Right across from the library, they know a building. But I think there's more to our church than a building. And that's what we want to talk about. And that's what Paul is coming to Timothy to have this discussion. Like, what are you really as a church? And this is the same thing these church planners struggle with. What kind of church do we want to be? And what do we want people to know us for? So we're in uh, book of Ephesians. Not Ephesians. He also wrote that. That's what we had in Bible class this morning. That's what threw me. So 2 Timothy so this is Paul talking. He says, in the presence of God, we'll just go through this verse by verse, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in the view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. The only reason I mention that is because Paul, when he talks to Timothy, right, he's in prison, and we don't know. It seems like he's going to die, and he's like, all right, I, this is reality, but there's an urgency to the way that he talks to Timothy. I don't know if you talk with that same urgency with your kids. A lot of you, obviously you have kids. I hope this was not just one family up here with, with 40 kids or something like that, but a number of you have kids. Do you talk with that same urgency with your kids? Can you clean up your room because Christ is going to come and judge the living and the dead? 
Like, do we talk that way? I don't think, maybe we should. If you don't clean up your room, just remember that Christ is going to come and judge the living and the dead at any moment. But that's kind of how Paul talked with uh, with Timothy. He was saying, like, there is an urgency to what we're doing as a church. It's not just willy-nilly. Whenever you get around to it, there is a reality that Jesus is going to come. And I hear, with that in mind, knowing that Jesus is going to come again, I want to tell you some things on how to run a church. He says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. And I don't think he was literally talking seasons, but I think we have some traditional values. If you'd think about when would I invite someone to go to church, when would it be? Christmas and Easter. Those are like the safest times to do anything. If you'd say, okay, I got plenty of time because I can invite my friends to Christmas. And Christmas is a big deal. Like our biggest service of all year is during Christmas this last year. And it's usually Christmas or Easter. They have like a battle. Usually it turns out to be Easter. Actually, Easter was bigger. And here's my theory why, not that you want to know my theory. My theory is that our church is generally young, if you haven't picked up on that. And parents like to travel in the spring rather than the winter. So families come into town in the spring, and then during the holiday, they come to church with their kids. That's my theory. But anyway, so where does this come? There's traditional time. But that's, I, I don't think we have to narrow down the time when we invite someone to come to church and during these times, fall is a huge, huge time when people say, I've got a routine and I want to do something new. That's a big deal. Fall is a huge time to do this. You talk about Advent by candlelight. This is, for a lot of our churches around the country, has become one of the biggest thing, which is saying, before you get ready for Christmas and like the thing, it makes some sense to sit down a little bit quieter and sing some hymns and recognize who Jesus is before you roll into this rush of a season. That makes some sense. Uh, millennials, we often throw under the bus. I'm trying not to make eye contact with any millennials. Sorry, Andrew. But it, it, we often make fun of really, <laughs> we often make fun of millennials, like they don't do this or at work. It's hard to talk about that, or they don't understand, and they don't have the Midwestern work ethic, and you know, blah blah blah. And um, but there is something intriguing. If you talk to someone who's a millennial, there is something intriguing to them that says. What, it, what is Ash Wednesday all about? Like, what does that mean, this idea of repentance and having a, actually have to answer to a God? What does it mean on a Good Friday to say that, that God came to this earth and died? There's some intrigue about that. So there's different times of the year you can just say to your friends, here's what I want to tell you. That's not the case around the whole globe. So we just used Notre Dame for an example, but in, in uh, Paris and in that area, 64% of them would say they identify as Christian but only one in 10 basically go to church on any regular basis. It's a little better in the U.S., but I went and listened to this whole presentation. This sounds really exciting, right? So I get to go. I said that right. I get to go to the Synod Convention. I've told you how excited I was to go to that. This was the main presentation. A person got up and said, just so you know, Christendom, it, Christianity is going down in the United States, and it's also going down in our churches. I think if you look around and if you just think through the past 20 years, does it seem like more people go to church or less? And the younger generation, I think it's getting more and more difficult because if you don't grow up going to church, so now we have a generation apart, but if you don't grow up into church, I'm guessing many of you who are here today, your parents went almost every Sunday. Is that it? So what happens if your parents go every Sunday and then the next generation, they only go like once a month? Like what happens to the next person? So I'm going to give it to an example a little bit different. Uh, it works kind of like this. Church is something that is generally handed down. And it, how many of you are hunters? It, this is not like a call it. Uh, 
apparently only people on the right side of the building. That's funny. <laughs> so a lot of hunters, so he, you know, both the hunters that are here, but there's a number of hunters. The other guys were like a little more timid to admit that they're hunters. I'm not a hunter, not because I'm like ethically opposed to it or something like that, but just because my dad didn't hunt. So if your dad does not hunt, it's pretty difficult to get into hunting because you have no idea what you're going to do. It's pretty rare. What did my dad do? My dad rode bicycles. So I ride bicycles. Like, I think bikes are awesome. And he was always fixing bikes. So I've got probably 15 bikes in my garage. And you're like, this is kind of overkill because there's only one Jared. This, you don't need that many bikes. But different bikes call for different situations, right? If you're going to tour downtown, you need a tandem. If, you, if you're going to go on mountains, you need mountain bike tires, right? You need different bikes for different applications. It's rare that it breaks in. So I did not grow up, and I'm afraid to say this word because I sound like I'm from the Midwest, but I did not grow up boating. Anyone grew up boating or sailing? I can't say shipping, but uh, so grow up boating. I did not. And so is there any chance in my lifetime that I'm like, you know what, honey? We should go invest in a boat. Because all I hear about is the jokes, right? Like the best day of your life is the day you, the second best day of your life is when you buy a boat, and the best day of your life is when you sell your boat. That's what I hear, right? So I'm not going to buy a boat. This doesn't make any sense. But my brother, my older brother had this dream that he wanted to be a sailor. I think he thought, like, he wanted to go to Ivy League school and feel like he's, this is what Ivy League people do and stuff like that. He's an aeronautical engineer and all these cool things, so he says, I want to get a sailboat. So he got this tiny, he's like, hey, do you want to go sailing with me? It was a glorified bathtub with a mass on it, which we tipped over uh, twice. But so we, we, we took the rocky thing. At the end of Wisconsin, it looks like a glove kind of there's Rock, how's it go? I think it goes Washington Island, then Rock Island. So we took the ferry to Washington Island, and then we, we navigated the waters. That sounds really dangerous then. We navigated the waters in this bathtub to go camp. At, um, but then he got a little bit bigger boat. He's like, hey, do you want to go sailing with me? I'm like, yeah. But he's like, no, 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 no. People could sleep in it. So then he got this. Now we're in Door County, and he can go around, and it's bigger, and he loves this kind of stuff. And, you know, you got to wear boat shoes, and he's got a whole sailing list, and, and a playlist, which is like, I'm sailing. Like the whole thing, everything has to do with boating and stuff like that. This is true. Like this, I wish it was lying. I'm not. Don't worry. Only my mom listens to my sermons. He doesn't. So, the uh, so that's the next thing. And then this next, he's like, "Hey, do you want to go sailing with us?" I'm like, "Well, what's the story now?" Like, he goes, "Well, what's the name of the area? British, the British Virgin Islands." So he's like, "All right, I was down in the British Virgin Islands, and you can get a sailboat that's been damaged by the hurricanes, and I'm fixing it up." So now, like. It's legit. Like this is, this is like from here to the wall over there, and sleeps like eight people. And he's fixing this up. He got it for like twelve thousand bucks, and it's worth a hundred thousand or something when he's done fixing it up. And he makes his life so he works as little as possible. That's his job in life. And uh, so he's he's set up. He's fixing this up. And now there's something to that. Why do I bring that up? Because he is going against the grain. I bet if he talked about all the sailing people, they'd say, "Well, my grandpa used to sail. My dad used to sail." What is it like in the Christian world? where the generation ahead of us or then each generation is becoming less and less frequent someone would really have to go against the grain to say worshiping on a regular basis is part of our life that's different it's strange it doesn't make sense so paul is saying to uh, to timothy you know preach the word in season you got to invite people so the holy spirit can do his work and something really unique he says this is what i expect you to do as a pastor preach the word correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and, and careful instruction um, how many of you like to correct people? No one wants to admit this? Give me a break. Like, I get emails from people like, uh, if you noticed in the bulletin, I shouldn't say it with this voice.
someone says, dear pastor. No, you know, like they're like, if you notice, there's a mistake in the bulletin. There's a mistake in the bulletin every week, right? That's why we have in there, I need paid admin help. Um, so people, how many of you like to correct people? I saw a thing at the end of an email, and I think I told you this, that, that said, you can correct grammar or you can have friends. <laughs> These are the two options you have in life. Most of us like to correct people, right? If they say something wrong or they do something wrong and they do all these things. But how many of us like to be corrected? When, I don't know if you knew this, but when you signed up to be part of a church that actually is a church and not just some like kind of edifice, you signed up for people to say when you're going down the wrong way. That's how the Greek talks about it. If you're going down the wrong way, someone is going to reach out and say you're going down the wrong way. And I don't know if, if your life's any different than mine, but sometimes I go down the wrong path and someone corrects me and you're like, okay, that was good. I was making a mistake. And I wish that was the last time I went down that path. What is it called when you go back down the wrong path when you know you shouldn't? When someone talks to you, that's called a rebuke. Someone says you know better and you're being stupid. And so part of being a church is like you're recognizing because Christ is going to come and judge the living and the dead is when you're going down the wrong way, someone cares enough about you to reach out and not in a judgy way and not to like look how right I am, but say I have concern, we got to go back this way. And when you do it again to say this is seriously something. But, But where does this come to if that's all our church was about? Like if our whole job was to try and correct and I mean, it, it would be probably fun as a pastor on some level, like, oh, I get to you know, feel good about myself because I get to, but that's not what a church is about. It says rebuke and encourage. And encourage means that we actually have a Jesus who lived on this earth and we actually have a savior, not just for me or not just for certain people, but for the world that says, I get to share this with you and you get to share this with people. So when someone goes down the wrong path, and they do it again and again and again. I can say God still loves you. God still accepts you. God still forgives you. He still wants you to be part of his family. So, with great patience and careful instruction. Because here's his concern, and you tell me if this sounds all that different from today. For a time, sorry about that, for a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires. Let's just talk about that for a second. If you, someone would describe our church, and this is how my church was described as a kid, and we're not any different. I grew up in church, they would say, we are a doctrinally sound church. We are an orthodox church. We speak God's word in its truth and purity. For most people, I think when they hear that you're a doctrinal church, that kind of makes people cringe. It makes people cringe when you say, like, we, we look at God's word and we're going to teach you what is right. Does that make you cringe at all? And you're like, all right. You're like, no, I don't know why that's a big deal. What if you went to a restaurant and they said, this is the only way you can eat soup? What if you went to a gym and they said, this is the only way you can work out? What if you went to a place and they said, this is the only right way for schooling? What if you went to some place and they, does that make you cringe at all? You ever go to a situation with a mechanic and, or something like that and they said, here's the only way to fix it? I think out of spite you say, just to prove you wrong, I'm going to do it differently. This is the realm that people are struggling with, that we come and say that we're a doctrinal church, but I don't think people fully recognize the richness of doctrine. Here's doctrine. Doctrine says that in this world, when you look at the mountains, it's God who made them. That's doctrine. Doctrine says that this same God is the one who made the universe more vast than we can ever imagine. That's doctrine. Doctrine says that we're the ones who mismanaged it. We mismanage the planet. We mismanage relationships. We mismanage everything in our life. We mismanage God's word. And doctrine says that there's ramifications that come with it. There's judgment that comes with it. But then doctrine says the same one who's the creator is also the intercessor. 
He intercedes. Doctrine says that God came right to this planet. Jesus, who is true God and true man, that's doctrine. Doctrine says there's someone who has, because you couldn't, went all the way to the cross to pay for your sins. That's doctrine. So when we say we're a doctrinal church, it doesn't mean we're just like cold and, and stifling and all these other things. It means that we believe what God says is true about our lives. And sometimes that means it says we're sinful in need of repentance. And sometimes, though, it means that we have a God who actually came for us. One last thing. Uh, they finish this. Instead, to suit their own desires, they gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. So just last week, I was talking about how it feels like when we take a stand. It, this is what it feels like to me. Culture is just flying by, and we're like, what just happened? And on the way, I'm trying to see if they're here. On the way out of church, someone says, I totally disagree with you. I'm like, wow, this is, this is good. At least it wasn't an email. I totally disagree with you. So they disagree with me. They said, I think the world is actually coming back. And I couldn't figure this out. This person is in their low 20s. Um, and I said, I could not figure this out. How could you think, because I'm just thinking about my own lifetime, how could you think that the world feels like it's swinging back when I think like culturally it's just shooting past way, way, way far from God's word? And I think it comes down to this. Is anyone here over like 30 you didn't have to raise your hand for that. That was not a trick. That was not a trick. <laughs> uh, if you're over 30, I think, I just look back and I'm truly amazed at where I never thought the world would be that far from what God said. I always knew that. Are you amazed at how fast it has gone away from God's word and what he says? To me, I'm utterly amazed. And this person, when I think about that, has only been alive for about 20 years. So in their lifetime, it always has been farther from God. And the evidence that he gave me was this, Kanye West. So Kanye just came out with a new album, as you all know, right? I mean, everyone knows this. So Kanye West, if you don't know Kanye West, is married to Kim Kardashian, and I don't know why she's famous and has money. But so apparently, Kim Kardashian has money, and she's married to Kanye, and Kanye's in songs, his own songs, and also other people's songs they talk about. He's, so he's an American rapper, I could say. So far, is this all true? I'm like right on the borderline of like my knowledge right now, so I'm about to make a mistake. And so he came out with a new album called Jesus is Lord. I think Jesus, Jesus is King? What's that? Something like that. What is it? Jesus is King. Yes. All right, Jesus is King. All right. So Kanye comes out with this album that Jesus is King, and I'm sitting thinking, huh, that seems strange. My daughter said, hey, Dad, did you hear Kanye? I mean... I'm not going to put you on the spot. She's, do you hear Kanye has a new Christian rap song? I'm like, what are you talking about? So she starts talking about this album, and I start looking into it, and it's her perception that says, Dad, here's what's really strange. I'll show you. This is from Spotify. you got to look really, really closely. I don't even know if you can see it. I don't think you can. We don't have enough contrast. This is, this is be, his last album. His previous album was Yeezus. And his current one is Ye, but if you look right there, you'd have to really concentrate. Every single one of the songs was explicit. That was every single one. Here's his new album, Jesus is King, Every Hour, Sunday Service Choir, Selah, which comes from the Psalms, which means probably good thing or break, Follow God, Closed on Sunday, the worst song in the whole album. <laughs> He has a line that says, you are my Chick-fil-A. 
We're going to incorporate that into our next praise song. Dear, our God is as awesome as chicken cooked in peanut oil. Um, so uh, closed on Sunday, on God, everything we need. So there's this total change, right? And, and, and he has interviews, and he's talking about this, and that he, he wants to make this total change. They said, what does he do? He says, Kim goes to bed and watches Dateline, and he reads his Bible. Now, why do I bring this all up? I don't really think the world is shifting back closer to God's word. God could have sent the Apostle Paul, he could have lived forever, right? It could have been like the Indiana Jones movie protecting the, you know, the, the Holy Grail, and this guy could have been ancient, right? And Paul could have been here, and he could have said, I knew who Jesus was, and God called me, and here's the message of salvation. God could have sent angels, and we could have buildings, and we said, go touch, talk to the angel building people, and then found it. But you know who God picked to share who, this message? You. A guy like Kanye doesn't totally turn around just because he feels like it. A guy, I don't know his story, but somewhere, somehow, someone said, a guy who writes explicit lyrics for his whole album and is a multimillionaire, he's about the last person I could imagine saying, you know what? I think I'm going to really get into this Christianity thing. But the Holy Spirit changes hearts, not you. And if we want to say, what is this church about when we talk about this community? It's not a church that says a cool building that transformed a garage into something cool. We want to say there's something that happens here, that God's word is preached and we correct lovingly, we rebuke lovingly, we encourage in God's word, we focus on doctrine because doctrine tells, tells us who God thinks we are and who we know we are, and it's a place where lives can get transformed. Uh, Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're amazed. I think we all have a story of someone we know that we never imagined would know who you are or follow you. We pray that we have that same boldness to know that it's not on our shoulders, but instead we have in this place your word which changes lives and changes hearts. Give us the courage to go outside these doors and invite people to this place, not because we need a place. Churches are not for us. We don't need a church. They don't have churches in, Japan, uh, in China. They don't have them in Pakistan. But it's for the people outside these doors that can come into this place and find comfort. A comfort that says there is someone who's going to tell them who they really are. And God says with very stark and, and hard words, you are a sinner in need of redemption, but with very loving, kind words, picks us up through the cross as we lay our sins at the base of the cross and says you are forgiven. Help us all have that same boldness to proclaim who you really are. 